Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. This morning, we're going to be uh, in the Psalms, and we're going to hear uh, the writings um, of David, the king, the shepherd king. Uh, he's, he's written this psalm as an instruction for the people of God, but is pulled from his own life and his own circumstances in, uh, in penning this psalm. This psalm is designed to remind the people of God uh, the joy that comes when someone uh, acknowledges who they are before God and then God flips around and forgives them and extends his mercy and grace despite that. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Psalm 32. Uh, It'll be up here on the screen, reading from the English Standard Version uh, today. These are the words of the Lord through his servant David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. May God bless the reading of his word. Oftentimes, in uh, a Christian's walk, we are asked to think about uh, some of the people that we knew during our formative years of the faith. Uh, And when I'm asked that question, uh, two men immediately spring to mind. Each of these men had a significant impact 
on my understanding of the scriptures, on some finer points of the Christian faith, and in my general zeal for learning more about both the Bible and the God that I could find in it. Other than that, these two could not have been more different. One was a born and bred Southern Californian, but always had country living in his heart. The other was from Las Vegas, transplanted to the country, and found country life a little too everybody knows everybody for his taste. So he shipped off to Southern California at the first opportunity. One could not stand to not be around people, encouraging them, speaking truth into their lives, praying with and for them, and loving them even when they were utterly unlovable. The other kept people at arm's length, preferring his nose to be in a theology book and filling his head up with knowledge. Though these men were very different, they shared two things in common. They were both pastors under whom I sat during my formative years of Christianity. And both men had committed adultery repeatedly in secret. One, when he was a young husband in the Marine Corps, sneaking around during free time while on duty and when he was sent away from home. The other in the middle of a church-wide fast that he had proclaimed after he built up a network of associate pastors to create a barrier between himself and the flock. One was found out when a routine blood test popped a positive for HIV. The other was found out when he was uh, caught spending a little bit too much time alone and communicating with far too often off the clock the church secretary. One, when found out, made no excuses about what he had done. He owned up to it, including serial adultery, paying for multiple abortions, and he sought forgiveness from his wife, his family, and his God. The other gaslit his wife, continued his affair, and was rightfully disqualified from his pastorate. All of these things were done in secret, but the fallout was very, very public. Anybody be wondering, why, why are you bringing this up? This is years and years and years ago that all of these things happened. That's true. And these people are well out of sight and out of mind for us this morning. But I don't want you, friends, to be ignorant today about the fact that that type of situation is something that each and every one of us either has faced, is currently facing, or one day will face. We're not all church leaders. It might not be that specific sin at issue. But I want to be clear, and I want us to understand something very important this morning. Each human being on the planet has sin in their lives that they keep deep inside, hoping that it will never see the light of day. That goes for me as much as it goes for anybody else. 
However, sin tends to eventually out itself. And it usually does at the most destructive moment possible. And the reality is that each one of us, like the two men I've described, the two men that I looked up to and admired and in the interest of confessing this morning, put on a pedestal that they really didn't deserve because that belongs to Jesus and Jesus only. Just like those two men, we will be confronted with the objective fact that we have sinned. And when we're confronted with that, we have a choice. Are we going to deny reality and continue as if we either don't know or don't care and allow it to run its deadly course? Or are we going to bring what we are into the light and let it be burned away that we might be made something new? The psalm today speaks about what to do with sin and the God who delights to forgive sinners. There's a lot in the Bible that talks about sin and judgment and death. We're not really going to go there so much today. We have a psalm that warns God against warns God's people against concealing their sin and encourages them to bring it into the light. And the truth, the main idea here is that concealing sin brings suffering, pain, and death. But confessing sin brings forgiveness, healing, and life. It may sound counterintuitive, it may even be foolish for us to think that bringing our sin to a holy and righteous God who detests sin so much, that that might be the right course of action. Sounds like it doesn't make sense, but we don't need to look any further than the scripture to know that this is true because David demonstrates this firsthand. The pain of committing and covering up and concealing sin and the joy of having his sins forgiven after they were brought into the light. Similarly, this psalm instructs us that hiding our sin keeps us from forgiveness and joy, but that the confession is a means of grace by which we receive that grace from God and we're able to display it to others. If we look back in verses 1 and 2, we can tell that David is palpably joyful from writing this psalm, from receiving the forgiveness after he confessed his sin, and how starkly that is contrasted against what happened when he hid his sin. And we know he can write about this so straightforwardly because he lived it. When we think about David and we think about a psalm that has to deal with sin, where do we typically go? Which one? 51, right? I heard it from somebody out there. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. That's the one we think about because that's the one asking God for forgiveness. Psalm 32 is the end result. But wait, Psalm 32 comes before Psalm 51. Yes, it does. They organized him in a specific way. I'm not going to get into it or anything like that. But Psalm 32 was written after Psalm 51. It's just the way they compiled it. No more than if you open a hymnal, one of the ones in the back may have been written before one of the ones in the front. Same type of thing. Psalm 32 celebrates 
God's forgiveness. And David is able to do that because he has already lived Psalm 51. When you come from a place of pain, angst, and destruction that's brought on by keeping everything inside, the joy is obvious. Anybody can see it. Anybody will know it. And David knows this better than anyone because when he had the choice to own up to his indiscretion with Bathsheba, you're right, God, I'm wrong, I sinned. Can we kind of fix this? That's not what he did, right? He doubled down on it. He tried to hide his sin. He tried to cover his tracks in the hopes that nobody would find out. By the way, they found out. The more David tried to cover up his sin and keep up the ruse, the worse things actually got. Not only did he have to outwardly exert more energy and commit sin on top of sin to cover up the original sin, it also wore inwardly on him, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Notice again, verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. His bones wasting away and his strength being dried up are physical wear and tear. His groaning is emotional wear and tear. God's hand being heavy upon him is spiritual wear and tear. Discipline from the king of the universe who knows all and sees all. And note how this is happening all day long, day and night. David may be keeping up the appearances, but it is slowly, perniciously eating him alive. I remember when I was working in another field before God called me to ministry uh, about 15 years ago, and at that time I had a secret sin in my life. It was a bitterness towards my boss at the time. Now, he wasn't the, he wasn't the greatest boss. Uh, he often did things that were very self-serving, cut corners, um, acted unethically, uh, and other things that left myself and my other colleagues annoyed with him. But my attitude toward that man stepped well over that line. I was angry with him as a boss. I was angry with him as a person as well. And in my heart, I hated that man. And nobody knew but me. That bitterness poisoned a lot of wells. At work, the staffers uh, would complain about the boss and moan about him behind his back, uh, and I would join in. Um, I would never let the depth of my hatred out, just simple annoyed agreement. Um, but I did nothing to stop that cycle. Emotionally, I hated him. I also hated coming to work for him. Physically, my disgust was so deep, I had trouble sleeping. That, in turn, affected my relationship with my wife and everybody I came across, because if you know me and, I don't, and you know I don't get my beauty sleep, just I'm not a particularly pleasant person to be around. I am miserable. My family's over there like, yep, amen, keep going. It took many months 
It took many 23-mile car rides each way between work and home, listening to sermons on the radio before I realized how spiritually sick I was. And nobody knew that but me. Now, I bring that up not to pat myself on the back for figuring it out. I'm not as smart as, no smarter than the next guy. But to show that as humans, all of us, starting with me, extending to everybody on the planet, we all have a predisposition not only towards sin, but to trying to cover that sin up. Even as the people of God, we are often the mules and the horses that are spoken of in verse 9. Without understanding, we must be curbed with bit or bridle, or we're just going to wander off. We grate against the very thing that is good for us, namely confession of forgiveness, and if left to our own devices, we trample everything and everyone around us. And yet we are content oftentimes to conceal our sin, even though God knows all and God sees all. And as Christians, we know that God knows all and God sees all. So why do we default to hiding sin and the death and destruction with that to keep ourselves from the remedy. I think there's two primary reasons for this. Both are internal. Both are uh, with our own uh, feelings at play. First, we hide our sin because of pride. Some people think if nobody brings it up, nobody knows about it. And if nobody knows about it, then it must not be that big of a deal, right? Well, those of you that remember the David and Bathsheba story, how did that actually get brought up, right? God told Nathan, Nathan told David a parable. David got all hacked off at the subject of the parable, like, that guy's terrible. And Nathan was like, guess what? It's you. That was a big deal, even though nobody knew about it until God told Nathan. Other people, and this is one that's especially dangerous for those in positions of authority or status or prestige, and in this context, especially those that are in religious authority or status or prestige, is because we feel the need that we need to be seen as acceptable uh, as respectable and as honorable. We can't be seen to have public faults because that would kill the persona that we have skillfully crafted for ourselves. If you were out there in the, in the lobby this morning around 9.20 or so like that, you may have seen me and my wife kind of getting into a mild little tiff about something that's completely inconsequential. Babe, I'm going to publicly apologize. I privately apologize already. I lost my temper with her. I didn't, I didn't need to do that. It was stupid. But immediately my thought was, we're arguing in front of everybody right now. We can't do this. I'm preaching this morning. What are people going to think? Oh, man, he's preaching and he's yelling at his wife right now. In hindsight, I'm kind of glad it happened publicly. I mean, I wish it wouldn't have happened to begin with, but if it had to happen, it's a good thing. It just it disabuses everybody of the notion that I'm perfect, right? Just got it out of the way. 
But even that thought, I can't see people, uh, people can't see us having this conversation right now, right? They got to think that we're just like, everything's hunky-dory and it's all awesome and amazing, right? We've got to fight that feeling because it's as, it's as easy as that to slip in to our thinking, So first, we hide our sin because of pride. The second, and this one may even be more difficult and and more destructive, is because we hide our sin because of shame. And that shame that we uh, feel externally and internally because we stand in fear of the external, unforgiving, seemingly unending shame of cancel culture. If we step out of line with whatever's going on, and, we're look, and we're, we are looked at less than, we'll be canceled, whether it's publicly or people can get canceled by churches too. It shouldn't happen, but it does, regrettably. And we'll be branded as persona non grata, a pariah, someone who people don't want to be around. The fear of people is real, but that pales in comparison to the fear of internal often unforgiving, seemingly never-ending shame of people finding out the kind of person that we really are. But we must fight that feeling too. There's a song from about 10, maybe 15 years ago that I really, really love. It's one of my favorite Heart Kai songs, and I've had it on replay in my head. Uh, while I was prepping this room because it speaks directly to this sense of shame and the fear of being vulnerable enough with people to admit that we're messed up, broken, sinful people in need of grace outside of ourselves. And the song starts, I'm not going to sing it, I'll read read the words for you. That may be a good thing or a bad thing depending on your preference. But it starts, it says, Honestly, can I tell you where I'm at? Honestly, can I pull the curtain back? Or will you run if you see how weak I am? That's an honest, deep question that I believe virtually every single person, if not every single person, can relate with that right there. But the chorus is more beautiful and more powerful and the truth more glorious than I could ever explain to you. It says, if you don't see the real me, you won't see what mercy's done. If you don't see my weakness, you won't see what love has won. If you don't see the distance from the darkness to the sun, you won't see honestly. Hiding our sin, friends, prevents people from seeing honestly. It robs us of our joy and it's the impediment to, the, to forgiveness of the sin we fear so deeply will be revealed. Instead of hiding that, we must be open and honest because confessing our sin instead of concealing it is what leads to forgiveness, healing, and life. Notice in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Here David declares, he confessed his sin, and God forgave him. That, in one sentence, is grace.
If you're like me, you can confess your sin and you can know that you read the Bible, that God forgives you. But you kind of wonder if that's actually really how it works. Can we really believe that God has forgiven our sins? All of them? Even that one? The answer is yes. Because this text is clear. In the first two verses that we read this morning, there are four different pictures of sin being forgiven. There is the person's trespasses being forgiven. Someone whose sin is covered. Those are two different things in Hebrew. The one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and the one in whom uh, deceit is not found in their spirit. I'm in the middle of my Hebrew course, so I don't know everything, but I know enough to know it's different words. And so it's different thoughts, and it covers the spectrum of sin. Yes, even that one. Acknowledging what we are before God, bringing it to him to deal with, there's nothing he can't deal with. It can all be forgiven. And those verses right there say that the person who, forget, who is forgiven is blessed, or in the Hebrew, happy. It is a joyous thing to be forgiven. Now, some folks may say, yeah, this is an Old Testament psalm that's written to uh, the children of Israel who lived in the Old Testament under the kingdom of Israel and all this other type of stuff. Uh, yep. You read the Bible. Congratulations. You're, you're correct. Good, good pulling out of the text. But it's also God's truth to God's people for all time. It does cover David. It does cover the Israelites to whom he wrote this and for whom he wrote this. But it also covers the publican in Luke 18. You remember the parable. The Pharisee said, hey, God, look at all this stuff. I, I'm so glad you made me not like that publican over there. Look at all the good stuff I do. And the publican didn't even look up. He just beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one did Jesus say went home justified? The publican, right? Confessing his sin. God justified him that day. In Romans 4, 7 and 8, Paul attributes this exact same passage to people who are granted righteousness by faith. Abraham's seed according to the promise. All of those who are God's people by faith. also covers St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. He loved this psalm so much and clung to the truth of this psalm so much that uh, they would often put writings up on the walls uh, in the room so they would remember, always have it on their mind, always have it in your heart, everything like that. In the room where Augustine lay dying, guess what was on the wall? Psalm 32. 
because Augustine knew that he was one of the people granted righteousness by faith, according to what Paul wrote. And us here, if we are believers, we are people granted righteousness by faith, which guess what that means? That psalm that we've read this morning, you can take it as instruction for you in your life, and I can take it as instruction for mine in my life, but we can also say, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. By the way, that is me and that is you. We are incredibly blessed, joyful, happy to have our sins forgiven by the grace of God. This connects the forgiver with the forgiven once again. And to be connected with God is true happiness, and to be forgiven is complete joy. But in order to receive this forgiveness... We need to live openly before God and others. The way we acknowledge God's grace is, be, is through this confession of sin. This confession is um, what speaks grace to us and properly mirrors it to people uh, in the world. And the way we do this is confessing. Presenting ourselves to God as sinners is the bedrock of our faith in Christ Jesus. Without that, we have nothing. Not from a proud posture of, hey, look at all this stuff I've racked up for myself, God. Look at all this sin I've accumulated. Cool. Right? The, uh, the song from The Greatest Showman, like, this is me, right? Just on full display. That's not what it's talking about. The tax collector in Luke 18 that I mentioned earlier, presenting himself before God and can only ask God for mercy because this is who I am. If we don't acknowledge this, we don't acknowledge our need for a Savior, we don't acknowledge God's grace, and we're strangers to the gospel. Take you back to Sunday school real quick. If you're a little older in the crowd like me, uh, you may remember this a little bit more easily. Uh, but one of the things that they teach us in Sunday school, especially if you've got a Baptist background like myself, uh, or the tracts that they'd hand out to try to convert people was uh, involved the ABCs, right? And not the one that we sing to tw twinkle, twinkle, little star with all 26 letters, right? It was just A, B, and C. The ABCs of becoming a Christian. Please, somebody be with me on this. What was the A? You got to admit, you got to acknowledge, you got to accept. Take your pick, right? Admit, acknowledge to God that you're a sinner. Accept that you're a sinner. Confession of sin was the very first thing on the list. Now, we're not talking about the put it out, uh, tell every single person in the world all of the things you've ever done, or even slip in a booth, and it's just between you and the unknown person on the other side uh, where you can just tell them all the things and you don't even see them or anything like that. Uh, it, it starts with you and God. Because the root of confession, the, the very basis and the bedrock of that is uh, agreement. 
it is agreement with reality. So when I do something, and I do something sinful, and I can say, hey, you know what, God, that was, that was sinful, what I just did. Uh, can you forgive me for that? And can you help me to try not to do that again? That's it, right? That is the beginning of where, that's the root and the, and the heart of what confession is. It starts with you and God agreeing with reality. That's the bedrock of our faith, but it is also, according to this psalm, the way that we experience God's steadfast love, it says, uh, at the end. The Hebrew word is chesed, um, and it, it's God's unrelenting, steadfast, perfect love in spite of our sin. That, my friends, is a core attribute of who God is. God delights in forgiving sin. He hates sin. He detests sin. He cannot abide sin, which is why wrath and judgment and all of those other attributes are also there. But as much as God hates sin, he equally delights in forgiving sin. And he delights in restoring relationship between himself and his people. He is the hiding place, talked about in verse 7, where we go for safety, shouts of deliverance. All those who are godly, in verse 6, call out to him. And verse 7, he is the hiding place. In a world where we fear what might happen to our image, what might happen to our social circles, what might happen to ourselves if we let our frailty show for all to see, God is the only true safe place where we can carry our sin. And fortunately, he's the only one whose opinion on our sin matters. Confessing our sin is acknowledging his grace in our lives, but it's also the way we display God's grace to an unbelieving world. I'm going to be a little bit blunt here. When we do not confess our sin as believers, when we hide our sin, I think we make a mockery of this psalm. I think we trample the gospel. Everything that is extolled about God's forgiveness, his amazing forgiveness, the amazing love that we sang about earlier, his deliverance, his worthiness, the joy that comes, his delight in forgiving us, all of that falls apart in the eyes of an unbelieving world if we don't acknowledge this rightly. To not confess sin is to improperly display God's grace. That is to say we display it in a way that's dishonest. 
it's dishonest to those close to us to act as though we have it all together and we don't sin. By the way, they usually know better, especially those of us who uh, have a, uh, a spouse or a child or a best friend or a parent. I think I covered everybody there. But it's also dishonest to an unbelieving world for us to act as though we have it all together and don't sin. Those, if you read your New Testament, those are the people that Jesus butted heads with. Those are the ones he clashed with. Those are the ones who orchestrated his death. Not the side that I want to be on. It was the ones who knew who they were and knew who he is. Those are the ones who confessed sin. They received his forgiveness and grace, and then they radiated his grace to others. So it's dishonest to those close to us. It's dishonest to, unbelie- to unbelievers. It's also dishonest towards God. Because if we don't confess our sin and we don't acknowledge his grace, we rob him both of his glory in forgiving sin and his delight in forgiving sin. And as the rest of the psalm plays out, God is so, so worthy for the things that he does for his people. He is worthy to be praised. I want to return to the two men I mentioned earlier. One, when confronted, uh, left his sinful patterns behind. He was restored by God. He was reconciled to his wife. And he was ultimately called to ministry where to this day he lives an abundant life faithfully and lovingly pastors the flock that I once called home. The other is drifting. Maybe in the faith, maybe not. But he lost his pastorate and the effects of his actions broke his family apart, never to be the same again. The choice that each man had when being confronted with that sin may not have been the determining factor uh, in where they are today, but their posture before God certainly was. So you might think this is great and all. Uh, I already know this. But I really hope you do know this. But we still need to uh, apply this to our lives every day. Knowing that this is true doesn't exempt us from diving headlong into God's forgiveness. It might be difficult, especially if we're hiding a particular secret sin. It might be scary to open up and be honest about it, even if it's just you, God, and the walls. But it's very important. Confession can be intimidating, sometimes even more intimidating to God than to somebody else. I get it, I've been there. It's scary to admit some of the stuff that goes on in here. Be afraid and do it anyway. The joy 
and the blessedness of God wanting to forgive you far, far outweighs any kind of fear that we feel on this side of it. All that waits on this side of it is pain. There's a, uh, there's a TV show on Apple. Some of you guys may have heard of it. This thing called Ted Lasso. Uh, kind of took the country by storm and everything. But there's this happy-go-lucky guy in there. And all he, he gets introduced very early on, becomes one of the team's best players. And he runs around. Uh, and they always ask him stuff. And he always just runs around screaming, football is life! Right? Football being soccer. We can take that attitude, and we can take that attitude towards confession. Because we come from a soccer family, so football is really fun, but football is not life. Confession, forgiveness, that's life. That is life. So, with that, we move to applying the word and then uh, going to come to the table. Two questions two things that I'd like for us to consider today. First, have I ever confessed my sinfulness and my need for a Savior? Now, I'm not here to beat you over the head with all of the things that you've done. If you're anything like me, you do a perfectly fine job of that on your own. But what I really want everybody to encourage today, especially if you've never considered this before, is that there is not some big army boot in the sky just waiting to come and stomp on you when you face up to reality of who you are. You are who you are. It is a product of the fall. Sin in the world, pervading everything and everyone. But what you do with that changes everything. So if you have never, ever confessed that to God before and acknowledged uh, your need for a Savior, I implore you to consider those questions today and to talk to somebody who can help you navigate and make sense with that. If you have confessed your sinfulness and your need for the Savior, question two, am I truly walking in the joy of forgiveness? I know some days that's really, really hard. especially when all the trappings and the trials and, and things of life get, uh, get wrapped up and tangled around our legs and we got to kind of chop at it just to survive and make the day. But if we're going to bring this to God, forgiveness is already ours. We should own that and we should walk in that joy. should have a lot more joyful, joyful Christians 
I'm kind of a stoic one myself, so I understand it, but it, it does my heart good when we hear people just overflowing with love and joy and, um, and everything because they're keenly aware of what God has done for them. So are we walking in the joy of forgiveness? And if we aren't, why? What are we hanging on to that's keeping us from doing that? So as we come to the table, we're going to consider those questions. Uh, the ushers are going to pass around. Um, we're going to take a few minutes to um, think about that while the plates pass. Um, answer those questions. If there's anything that you've got to do business with God with, this is the time uh, to do that. You do not need to be a member of Bay Ridge to uh, join us at the table this morning. Uh, you just need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus because everything that we talked about this morning, uh, it, that's it. That's the things uh, that we want to consider and think about uh, there for you. So as they pass, uh, go ahead and just reflect. We'll take a couple minutes for quiet reflection and then we'll come together to partake together. For I receive from the Lord what I now pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's prepare to take the bread together. Father, we come before you at this table undeservedly, unworthily, but nevertheless welcome and accepted. Because thanks be to you, our Father, you saw fit to forgive us despite all we've done despite all we do. Thank you, Lord, for sending Christ to do what we could not so that we might have right relationship with you once more. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Jesus, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising its shame. Because you knew what lay on the other side. Victory over sin and death. And you won that for your people. Forgiveness and restoration from the sin and death we wrought. Bestow upon us, we pray, 
a measure of that joy. That though life may be hard now, we know what waits for us because of what he did. Brothers and sisters, blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. God, we pray that you would pour your spirit out upon us, that your fruit would be borne out in our lives. We pray that we would walk in joy of your forgiveness, knowing that we brought our sin, the sin that made it necessary, but you dealt with that, and we are your children. We are forgiven. We are blessed, happy, and ought to be joyful. So Lord, give us that joy today through your spirit that we might receive your grace and that we might radiate your grace to those with whom we cross paths. We ask this for your glory and in Christ's name. Amen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good word and word. Friends, we are forgiven and we are blessed. Go forth take that blessing to others this week. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.